I really love that song because it, I don't know, it kind of, in, a, in a way it takes a lot of different verses that the Apostle Paul wrote and sort of puts them together in one song. A lot of it comes from Galatians 2.20, which says, For I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And, and, and what Paul is writing there should be the, the desire of all of our hearts, that the those of us who have faith in Jesus, like it's not about us, but it is about living as if Jesus is living through us so that when people look at our lives, they see Jesus in us. Um, and so I think that's a great kind of challenge to think about when we sing songs like that. Uh, it's good to see everybody this morning. For those of you that are in the room, for those of you that are joining us online, thanks for being here. I was kind of looking around the room earlier, and I know we've got lots of um, new faces that are with us today, and so we really appreciate all of our guests who um, choose to worship with us on a regular basis, and so glad that you guys are here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, because I've met some of you on the way in, but not all of you, um, my name is Bill, and it's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor um, here at the table, and so we're excited to have you. We would absolutely love to connect with you today, and the so we can begin to build a relationship with you and find out how we can serve you and your family. And so the easiest way to do that is to text the word welcome to 817-755-1668. And what you will receive from us is a link to a digital guest card that um, we'd love for you to fill out. And we're not going to do anything strange or weird, but we're just going to um, hopefully begin to build a relationship with you, let you know a little bit more about the church. And if there are questions that you have or anything like that, we absolutely want to be able to answer those. Um, and so... Yeah, just excited that you're here today. One of the things that is true about us as a church is that we want to be a part of the disciple-making process that Jesus has called us to both here in our community, and so we do that through a lot of different ministries, but also um, a part of that around the world as well. And so some of you might not know this, but we support two projects, um, one in Panama and one in Nepal, um, that are... Uh, kind of feeding centers. There's a feeding center in Nepal that we support um, to be a part of that disciple-making process um, across the globe. And then we have um, a uh, orphanage that we support in Panama. They also have a feeding center um, with that missionary and that church there. But um, we support an orphanage um, to help some girls uh, get some education, higher education, and things like that. And one of the things that we would love to be doing on a regular basis is sending people to these two projects so that we have a relationship with um, the, the people that we're working with there. Um, but obviously, over the last couple of years with COVID, that has been an issue, not able to go um, hardly anywhere. Um, but now things are looking a little bit better. And so we actually um, have... Uh, the Forgies, you know, Melissa was up here just a little bit ago, they are headed to Panama, leaving next Saturday um, to go down and visit um, our missionary in the orphanage down there. And then later this summer, if you really want an adventure, um, there is an opportunity to head to Nepal as well. And again, we would love to be sending people regularly to these projects so that you um, get to know them a little bit and, and, and those kinds of things. But um, before the message this morning, I want to pray specifically for the Forgies as they leave that um, God would be with them on their trip and certainly that they would have safe travels and, and those kinds of things, but productive ministry as well. So it's the first time that they're going to be able to, to head down to our project in Panama. So they're really excited about that. So let me pray for us and for them, and then we'll, we'll get into the message this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us 
to be a part of your work and ministry here in the lives of people in our community, but then ultimately around the world too. Um, it's a great privilege to point people back to Jesus like we just sung in that song. He is our hope because of what he did. And so, Father, I do pray for Matt and Melissa um, and um, Ryan and Matthew as they go and the, the rest of the folks that are going to be joining them and um, along with Craig, our, our missionary God, um, that as they go that they, you would uh, take care of them, watch over them, keep them safe. Um, at the same time, they, they have um, just a, a great week of productive ministry, just blessing um, the folks who are there in Panama, the families that they're going to minister to. Father, I just pray that your, your blessing would be upon them um, and that's just to have an outstanding trip. And so, um, Father, I just pray that you would be with them. I, I do, Father, thank you for your presence with us today. And as we spend some time in your word, I, I pray that you would just continue to, to bless us, that you would be at work in our hearts, in our lives. Um, God, maybe changing us, drawing us closer to you. We recognize our dependence upon you. We need you to be at work in our lives. And so, in the midst of the struggles that we face today, Father, I pray that you would um, meet us right where we are. And draw us close to yourself. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Can God be trusted? I want you to listen to these words from the author Philip Yancey in his book, Searching for the Invisible God. They're from the opening lines of a, paragraph, or a chapter entitled Room for Doubt. Peter DeVries a product of a strict Calvinist home with an undergraduate degree from Calvin College. So just think, very, very conservative upbringing. So author Peter DeVries, he went on to write savagely comic novels about the loss of faith. One of the characters could not forgive God for not existing. Words that explain much of DeVries' own God-obsessed work. His novel, The Blood of the Lamb, tells of Don Wanderhope, a father of an 11-year-old girl who contracts leukemia. Just as the bone marrow begins to respond to treatment and she approaches remission, an infection sweeps through the ward and kills her. Wanderhope, who had brought in a cake with his daughter's name on it, leaves the hospital and returns to the church where he had prayed for her healing. And he hurled the cake at the crucifix hanging in the front of the church. And the cake hit just beneath the crown of thorns. And brightly colored icing drips down Jesus' dejected face of stone. While Wanderhope is a fictional character, as he looked at the circumstances of his life, he clearly made the determination that no, God could not be trusted. So let me ask you again, can God be trusted? Now, some of us are conditioned to say immediately, yes, God can be trusted. This is what we have heard our entire lives. But for just a minute, I want you to think with me about the evidence in front of us and see where that might lead. Now, probably all of us are tempted to begin with our own lives, but I'm not sure that that's the best place to start because when it comes to our own lives, we are probably not very objective. So rather than start with ourselves, let's start with what's happening in the world around us. So when you turn on the news at night, what do you see? The war in Ukraine dominates the headlines and the potential for even greater conflict exists. At different times, we might turn on the news and hear stories about famines in different regions of the world or, or in different countries. 
It seems like natural disasters are occurring more and more, and they seem to take lives at random, both here in our country and then around the world as well. If God is good, then why do things like this happen? We could talk about COVID. I mean, all of us over the last two years have been navigating life in a COVID world, and I know people that have trusted that God was going to keep them from getting COVID only to contract the illness. I know families who've trusted God would bring healing in the life of a family member who was in the hospital struggling with COVID only to have that loved one pass away. So if God is our healer, then why doesn't God heal? So as we look out at the world around us, then maybe we can begin to look at the circumstances of our own lives. And probably a lot of us who are here would look at our, where our lives are today and say, that, man, it's not exactly what we thought it would be. Maybe we thought it, hoped it would be somewhat better. So let me ask you again, can God really be trusted? See, while there are some of us who are conditioned to say, yes, I know God can be trusted, yet at the same time, there are probably some folks in here who would say, I have thought about all of those things that you brought up this morning, and that's why when I ask the question, can God be trusted, I don't know how to answer it. Can God really be trusted? I'm going to tell you something that might sound crazy in light of what we've talked about so far this morning. I absolutely believe that God can be trusted in spite of the evidence that's in front of us. And this morning, I'm going to tell you why. If you've got a Bible, I would invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. So we're continuing our series in the life of Abraham that we've been going through over the last few weeks, and today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, the scripture I'm going to read is verses 1 through 8, but we're actually going to talk about the entire chapter. Um, So the verses that I'll read will be on the screen um, here in just a second, or if you're a YouVersion Bible app user, you can navigate your way to our live event and follow along there. There are, like always, helpful stuff there, some questions for that are, some of our small groups are doing, questions for reflection, the scripture's there, notes are there, all that kind of stuff. So it's really helpful. It's a helpful resource um, that we are able to use. But Genesis chapter 15, we have talked about Abraham's life in this series. And, and Abraham is one of those people that we read about in the Bible. It's really easy to make some wrong assumptions about. Because when Abraham left his father's household to go to the land that God would show him, he took a a huge step of faith. And so it's really easy to just, without looking at the details of his life, think, well, from that point forward, he just lived by faith in everything that he did. But that's not true. He made some mistakes. He faced some challenges. But in spite of it all, God was faithful to him. Now, the passage that we're looking at today is somewhere between 10 and 13 years, approximately 13 years after God first showed up in Abraham's life and told him to leave his father's household. And during those 13 years, there were some ups and downs, some challenges that he faced. But now, 13 years after God showed up for the very first time, Abraham is still wondering whether or not he could actually, truly trust God. Let me read Genesis 15. I'll just read the first eight verses. We'll, eventually, we'll talk through the rest of the chapter. Genesis 15, starting in verse 1. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. 
I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord, Lord God, how can you, what can you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Abram continued, look, you've given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house, he will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, this one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. And then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? And it continues on from there. Two weeks ago, we left off with Abraham and Lot, Abraham's nephew Lot. There was a conflict between their herdsmen. And so Abraham and Lot had to separate. It was Lot who chose to live in, well, honestly, at that time was the better land, but it was adjacent to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, very soon, living next to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot found himself in some trouble when some other kings of the region made war against the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. They took all these people captive, and included in that was Lot and his family. Abraham found out about what happened, and so he got his people together and then they went to go fight and rescue Lot and his family. And at the same time, they also rescued all these other people. Then we read something that's really interesting to me because Abraham comes into contact after the battle, after he rescues Lot with this, who is honestly a mysterious figure in the Old Testament, this priest of the Most High God and King of Salem, which was a forerunner to Jerusalem, this guy named Melchizedek. And Abraham, Abram, pays a tithe to Melchizedek. And so this was very much an act of worship. It was a, a, an act of recognizing that God had been with him during this period. But yet at the same time, in spite of all that Abram had been through, in spite of all that he believed God had been doing, he's still wondering at this point, as we get into Genesis 15, can God really be trusted? Because God had promised him land seed and blessing. He was in the land, but there were other people there. He'd certainly recognized God's blessing on his life, but then he had no heir. He had no son. And so he is wondering, God, after all this time, can I really trust you? So what I want to do this morning is give you three reasons why I know that God can be trusted. Reason number one, the first reason that God can be trusted is because he is our shield. First thing we read is that God shows up in the midst of these questions that Abraham is going through in his mind. God shows up and says, Abram, don't be afraid. I am your shield. It's interesting to me that this is what God says to Abraham about himself. This is not what Abraham said to God. He's not declaring something that he knew about God. It was God showing up to Abraham saying, Abraham, listen, understand this. I am your shield. I have been at work protecting you, even though you may not have seen it. I am your shield, source of protection. The imagery is that of a soldier who takes a shield into battle to protect himself 
from the arrows. And it's God saying to Abraham, hey, I have been at work protecting you, even though you may not have seen it. We've talked about some of those events in Abraham's life in this series. When Abraham took his family because there was a famine in the land, they went to Egypt and immediately they got themselves into trouble because just before they got to Egypt, Abraham said to his wife, Sarah, hey, we're not going to say that you're my wife. We're going to say that you're my sister. That way things will be better off for me. So they got to Egypt. They said that and Pharaoh said, hey, that's great. She's your sister. She's beautiful. I'll bring her into my family. Now, something that is, I think is, is fascinating is true throughout Abraham's story is that we re- read the perspective of a narrator. You narrators know what the characters don't know. They see everything. And so what we read in that section is that God brought a plague on the house of Pharaoh. But there is no indication that Abraham knew anything that was happening. He may not have known at all what God was doing, but God was at work protecting Abraham so that God could fulfill his promise. Two weeks ago, we talked about the conflict between Abraham and Lot. They decided to separate. Abraham gave Lot the first choice, and we talked about how God was at work behind the scenes making sure that Abraham was exactly where he wanted God wanted him to be, which was in the middle of the promised land. It was God at work protecting Abraham, serving as his shield, even though Abraham never knew what God was up to. God said, Abraham, I am your shield. It's like God is saying, hey, Abraham, I know what you're feeling. It's okay. I have been at work protecting you for a long time, even though you couldn't see it. That can be frustrating, though, to not see how God is at work. And this imagery of being a shield, in, in some way it indicates that attacks will come. That's the reason that God needs to serve as our shield. And we can begin to really question whether or not we can trust God when we have the wrong assumption that if I follow after God, then life will be easy. But God never promised that. We talked about it, though, the simple faith formula that we like to live by, which says, if I do this, then God does that, and then that means that my life will be easy free from trouble or problems. But God never promised that. In fact, we read over and over again in the New Testament that we should expect trials to come into our lives. In fact, I love what the Apostle Peter wrote in the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. He's writing this letter to followers of Jesus who have been persecuted and scattered abroad. In other words, they have been forced to leave their homes and their homeland because of the persecution that they'd suffered. And Peter writes this in 1 Peter 3. Why do you think it's strange, the trials that you are facing? It's like, why do you think that this is weird? Like, why are you surprised that these things happen to you? Because he says, listen, if they persecuted Jesus, then aren't they going to persecute you too? But in the midst of the the trials that we go through, the, the, the difficulties that we face in life, God is at work for us. He is our shield, protecting us, even though we may not see how he's at work. The shield imagery shows up a lot in Scripture. Over 20 times, God very specifically is described as being our shield. Most of those references in the book of Psalms, many written by Israel's greatest king, David. Psalm 3.3, David said this, You are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. 
David said that not when he was at the height of his power, but when he was running for his life from his son Absalom, who sought to take over his throne. Psalm 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him. And again, David did not write that when he was taking his throne in Jerusalem. He wrote that when he was running for his life from King Saul, who was seeking to kill him. God is our shield, protecting us, maybe in ways that we don't even ever see. But in those moments of difficulty, we often find ourselves asking why. Why does God allow this to happen? Or why doesn't God stop this from happening? Or why doesn't God heal? And so we always want to know why. Most of the time, to be really honest, we may never know why. And so when we find ourselves in a difficult situation, a difficult season of life, a challenging circumstance, and we don't know why, how do we continue to trust in God in those moments? I want to tell you something that the Apostle Peter once said to Jesus. It's in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, Jesus had been teaching a large crowd. A large crowd had been following him around, and he said something that day that like, honestly, seemed really strange to most people. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not have eternal life. And the people kind of started to look at each other like, you know, this guy's off his rocker. I don't know. Are we supposed to take that literally? Because I'm not going to do that. And so all of a sudden, this crowd of people deserted Jesus, and they stopped following him. Later, Jesus then turned to his disciples, and he said, what about you guys? Are you going to walk away too? And Peter, the guy that often gets himself in trouble with the things that he says, this was genius. He said, Lord, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. In those moments where we don't understand why we are facing the challenging circumstances that we do, it's really easy to begin to think, I don't know if I can really trust God, but let me just ask you the question, where else are you going to go? It's Jesus who has the words of eternal life. But he's our shield at work protecting us, maybe even when we don't see it. Number two, the reason that we can trust God is because he's able to do more than we could ever imagine. As the conversation continues, Genesis chapter 15, Abraham says, listen, hey, God, that's great. I, I believe that you're my shield. I, the, this reward that you've promised me is really cool and everything, but I don't understand what you're up to because I don't have an heir. It doesn't make sense. What's the purpose of this blessing? Because I don't have anybody to give it to. Right now, the only person is Eleazar, this servant, this slave in my house. It might seem strange to us. It's common practice. If you didn't have children, then your uh, assets would be given to a close slave in your house. And oftentimes, it was almost like a, a family member, but certainly not like a son. And so Abraham says, God, I don't understand what you're doing. God says, Abraham, listen, don't worry. You will have a son from your own body. It's like going to be your child. Then he took Abraham out at night. He said, Abraham, look up at the stars. Try to count them. Because that's how many children you're going to have. This was not about one son, but it was about many, many sons, more than could even be counted. 
The reason we can trust God is because he's able to do more than we could ever imagine. So listen, whatever you're dealing with today, God can do more than you could ever imagine. Whatever's stressing you out today, God can do more than you could ever imagine. Whatever you are afraid of, God could do more than you could ever imagine. And in fact, that's what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. I love the book of Ephesians, broken into two halves. Six chapters, first three chapters are all about what God has done for us in Christ. Second half, the last three chapters, what we do as a result of what he has done for us. And the Apostle Paul writes this benediction at the end of the first section. Almost like he was wrapping up the letter and then he realized, oh, I've got a whole lot of other stuff I need to cover too. And so he kept going. But at the end of that first section, he says this, Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who was able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church from this day and forevermore. And then the context of what Paul had been talking about. He had been talking about how Jews and Gentiles are brought together in the church. He was talking about how two different groups of people who had nothing in common could be brought together in Christ. Two different races of people that didn't have anything to do with each other can be brought together in Jesus. People on the outside were brought together with those on the inside, and it all happened because of Jesus. No one would have ever imagined that that was possible, but it was true because of the work of Jesus. And I don't know if you're like me. But I get really frustrated with the division that exists in our world today. But God could do more than we could ever ask or imagine. That's why God can be trusted. Now, there's something happening here. I got to show it to you. Verse 6 Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So it's really interesting. It says there that Abraham believed this outlandish promise of God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, I don't think that prior to this event that Abraham was not a man of faith. So we can't look at Abraham and say, well, he wasn't a man of faith, and now as a result of this, he believes God, and now he is a man of faith. He was a man of faith the whole time. But what's happening here is really significant. Abraham believed this outlandish promise of God, and it did something in his life. It changed him. It changed the the way that he lived and how he viewed the world. It said it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, what's being communicated is that his life changed as a result of his belief in God. Now, he didn't get everything right all the time from this point forward, but this was a a, a pivotal moment in Abraham's life that really changed the way that he saw the world and changed how he began to live. In the same way that our faith needs to change us. When we believe in Jesus... That belief is credited as righteousness to us. In other words, the righteousness of Jesus is credited to our account so that God can begin to see us, not in our sin, but at, in the clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So he sees us as being good, right people. But yet at the same time, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, because we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus, then that needs to flesh itself out in how we live our lives so that we are different. We live differently and see the world differently. 
Now, that's all bonus material because it's not actually what we're talking about today, but it's really significant, that verse. Let me get back to what we're talking about. Reason number three that we can really trust God is because our relationship with God is not at all based on what we do. The conversation continues where, kind of where we left off. God says, hey, I'm going to give you this land. And Abraham says, that's great, but there's still other people that live here. How do I know that this is going to actually happen? I would encourage you to go back and read through the rest of the chapter at some point. Here's what happens. God says to Abraham, go get a cow, goat, ram, pigeon, dove, maybe another bird. Cut them in half. Line them up, creating an aisle. Because what God was going to do with Abraham was enter into a covenantial relationship. Think of it as a contractual agreement. Typically what happened, because this was, again, it seems strange to us, this was a common practice in the world of Abraham's day. When a covenant relationship was entered into, two parties agreeing, one party says, I'll do this, the other says, I'll do that. And then they would walk between the animals, signifying, may God curse me even to death if I don't hold up my end of the bargain. So Abraham gets the animals sacrifices them, gets everything ready, and then we read that he falls into a deep sleep. And while he was in that deep sleep, God reveals to Abraham, hey, things aren't always going to be great. In fact, he predicts the 400 years of captivity, enslavement of his people in Egypt. But he says, Abraham, know this, your descendants will inherit the land. Then something fascinating happens. The presence of God shows up in the form of a smoking pot and a torch. I think symbols signifying the holiness of God. And while Abraham is in a deep sleep, those two elements pass between the animals. And here's what it's saying. It's God entering into this covenantial relationship, this contractual agreement, saying to Abraham, hey, you know what? I'll do my part. And I'll even do your part, and you don't have to do anything except trust in me. Was God saying to Abraham, I'll do my part, and I'll do your part, and all you have to do is trust in me. Let me tell you, the biggest reason that I believe we can trust God is because our relationship with him, it is not at all based on what we do. It is God saying, let's enter into a covenantal relationship. I'll do my part. I'll also do your part. And all you have to do is trust in me. I talk about this sometimes. You've probably heard me say it. The gospel is when we could do nothing, Jesus did everything. It is also when we did nothing, Jesus did everything. Because God said, hey, I'll do my part and I'll do your part. All you have to do is trust in me. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace we're saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not by works. You don't do anything. It's God's free gift so that no one can boast. It's really interesting. The book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, is all about the things that God has done for us, chose us, adopted us, predestined us, called us, sealed us with the Holy Spirit. It's all that God does. You know what does not show up in Ephesians chapter 1? 
what we do because we don't do anything. It's God saying, I'll do my part and I'll do your part. And all you have to do is trust in me. That truth can change your life. Because the reality is we're always going to look out at the world around us and there are going to be things that we don't understand. We don't understand why things are happening. But I absolutely believe even though we cannot see God's hand at work, he is our shield. He's at work protecting us. And he is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever imagine. But when it comes down to it, the basis of our faith is God saying, I'll do my part and I'll do your part. And all you have to do is trust in me. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. I'm going to just do this really fast you know, because the reality is I think lots of people come into churches on a regular basis and think to themselves, there must be something that I have to do. And here's what I want you to hear me say today. It's already been done. All you have to do is trust in Jesus. And it'll change your life forever. And, and so maybe if you're here today and you say, like, I, I want to have a relationship with God. I, I want to trust in Jesus. You can do so today because it is a matter of faith. Oftentimes we... Tell people, though, maybe the, the way to solidify that decision that's taking place in your heart is through simply praying a prayer and telling God the decision that you're making. By saying something like this, God, I recognize apart from you, my life is a wreck. And I recognize I can't earn a relationship with you. I, I can't work my way into a relationship with you, but I believe that when I could do nothing, Jesus did everything. And I place my trust in Jesus today as my Savior. And so, if you're making that decision today, and listen, we don't do this a lot in our services, but if you're making that decision, will you tell somebody? You could grab me after the service if you want to, or shoot me an email this week and say, hey, like I trusted Jesus as my Savior today. And the reason I encourage you to do that is because we want, you to help, we want to help you to understand what those next steps are. Because God doesn't want to leave you where you are. He wants you to learn to trust in him more and more. And so we want to provide you with the help and resources necessary to do that. Will you pray with me, Heavenly Father? I pray that all of us would be convinced of the fact that we can trust in you. And maybe more than anything else, because it's not about us but it's about you, that truth, that we can enter into a relationship with you because you'll do your part and you'll do our part and all we have to do is believe. May that belief radically transform who we are and how we see the world and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.